Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamek. Berto Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. We have a great guest. We are here with the future. Yvette Simpson is a lawyer, MBA, and former city, Cincinnati City Council president pro tem. She served two terms on the council. She came up short, just short, for becoming the mayor in 2017 in making lemonade for a lemon, a blessing for the progressive movement. Yvette served as the federal electoral manager for Democracy for America during the second half of 2018, helping to flip control of the House. And you know how happy we are about that with historic victories, electing the most progressive and diverse coalition of candidates in America's history. In January 2019, Yvette became the first woman to serve as a chief executive officer of DFA, Democracy for America, as well as the first woman of color in executive leadership. She continues her civic engagement as a member of several boards. Yvette Simpson, Miss Simpson, thank you so kindly for being here on Politics Done Right. It is a joy and a pleasure and thank you for creating a platform for folks like me in this amazing movement to talk about the issues that matter. Well, let me tell you, first of all, I, I before we even start with the things I really want to talk about, I want to give you some kudos for being able to be the only person I've seen on this week who can really handle Chris Christie because he needs handling. And I have done that without any physical violence. And you did it without violence. You just did it with your intellect (laughs) and you got him each time. Thank you. It is a joy and a pleasure. Uh, to do that. Uh, well, and well, look, it's I, very important to, I say, uh, speaking truth to power is my love language. So, yeah. And you know, that is, that is important, especially in these days where even the media that you're on, that you have to be on as well, isn't necessarily uh, giving you the, the necessary platform or the ability to communicate in full. I mean, you get the ability to communicate, just not communicate in full. So that is what we want to do here. Make sure that you get the option to communicate in full. Please first tell me, uh, let, let's talk about our democracy. Where does our democracy stand? Um, some people say that our democracy at stake, is at stake, and I don't think that we have one. I mean, when you think about the threats to democracy, we've had the insurrection against our physical capital um, and an attempt to overthrow democracy again. Uh, and then we've got several states that have proposed legislation to get rid of people's right to vote. And we actually have in the White House, we have the majority, but we have minority rule because of the filibuster. I continue to ask people, are we a democracy? Are we a democracy at all? I don't think that we are. And I think, you know, one of the uh, important things about what happened earlier this year and the things that are happening uh, around us by all of these attacks on voting rights is this waking people up to the fact that we never really were a democracy. I mean, just the Electoral College, which, you know, is based in slavery. Um, so the work that we're trying to do now is to wake, wake people up to the idea that we are not a democracy and that we need to do the work. I think of a rebuilding um, democracy in our own image. Um, you know that mm-hmm, that North Dakota has two senators and California has two senators is present, correct? There are more cows in the Dakotas than there are people, and they have the same representation, as you said, as the state of California, which has a robust and significant amount of people. And then you talk about DC which has 600, 700,000 black people alone in, in DC um, and they do not have representation. That, it, it's a sad case. Now, um, 
I want to stick with democracy a bit because I, I feel like we are at a critical point here because yeah. here is the issue. The issue is if Democrats don't uh, get a spine, and I, I want to talk about a, a spine a little bit later, but if Democrats don't get a spine, in effect, they will lose it for us all because once it's lost, it's gone. Example, if Wisconsin, Texas, Florida, and others are successful, isn't it true that they can hold on for a very long time and, and continue minority rule, especially since they have the judiciary already? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I think that's something that we can talk about the spine conversation. I think that's a whole story about uh, the way that Democrats fail to use the power that they have, right, um, when we have it. But yes, I agree with you. I think uh, if we don't take control of this situation right now, we will not have the power to do anything. Because what we know is if the legislature already has power and the, they have the power in the judiciary, now they control every single option that we have to get any of our rights hurt, right? Typically, the judiciary is the point at which we can get uh, any inequity that is caused by the legislature cured. But if you also have the judiciary on your side playing a political role, now there is no remedy. There is no way for us to make sure uh, that the people who we represent have a way um, uh, to, get their, to get their rights remedied. What I love with you being one of the main leaders in the progressive movement is you know how to be that connection between the progressive side and try to create that necessary alliance with what we like to call the establishment, which I think it's important. Now, my personal, I have some personal beliefs as to why uh, the Democrats tend to be cautious in their movements. Why not abolish the filibuster? Why be scared of, of, of a $3.5 trillion, which is very much on the low side. It's over a 10-year period. Uh, when you know it's interesting because you get 3.5 trillion dollars divided by 10 is about 350 uh, billion dollars but then mm -hmm. again we don't collect 160 billion dollars in taxes from the wealthy and we give tax breaks i mean the money is actually there uh so i have mm -hmm. reasons to believe that there is more to why democrats don't respond to that inequity that is immediately visible in people. What are your thoughts on that? Money and politics is a big part of that. You know, I think when we talk about, people say, is it about left versus right? Is it about Democrats versus Republicans? No, it's about the, the wealthy and the rest of us. And at this point, it's about the ultra wealthy and the rest of us. Like there were millionaires who was like, man, I thought I had something. Now I realize, wait yeah. a minute, if you're not a billionaire, you really don't have anything. And that's a sad state. You know, the report that was just uh, released yesterday or the day before that talks about the $163 billion a year that the ultra wealthy have not paid in taxes, what that would do <laughs> uh, to, to, our, um, to our treasury that would allow us the ability to do the things that we should be able to do. So I think it's money and politics. I think that Dem um, Democrats are serving the same master as Republicans, and that's big oil, big pharma, um, you know, the, the big health complexes. We, we think about the big military contractors, which is perpetuating the military industrial complex. We think about folks who are making money in the prison industry, which is propping up uh, the, the prison industrial complex. So, you know, unfortunately, we now see Democrats who are taking money, and so they don't have the ability uh, if they want to keep that money to stand up for all of us. And so that means that even though, and this is what I talk about when I talk to my, uh, my corporate brothers and sisters on the other side of our party, you know, is that, you know, 
Um, if you're not representing the people, then why are you here? And the reality is, is that now we've got bipartisanship among the real people on Main Street, but we don't have that in Washington. Every poll shows that most Americans think this bill should be more robust. Most Americans, Republican and Democrat, nearly 60, 70% of Americans agree that we need to have universal health care and, and we need to have a Green New Deal. But the people in Washington don't agree. And here's why they're not serving us. They're serving corporate interests. Now, um, Yvette or Ms. Simpson, what I really think is, uh, I, I agree with, with all of that. Mm-hmm. How do we get, first of all, your message is correct. Uh, if you look at all the polls, 60 plus percent, which means we have a hell of a lot of Republicans, support every single progressive policy. Right. One of the issues is your voice, one of our leaders, isn't being heard. And the question is, why isn't your voice being heard? You mean in the, in the inner circles of our own party? No, I, I, I mean... I mean, people are voting against their own interests right now. Yeah, people continue. And the reason why is that you, you poll them individually and everything that you stand for, they want. Yeah. But a caricature is made of, of all those that you represent. I am That's looking right. at your website right now and you have a plethora of candidates. These are people that should be big winners throughout the country. Yes. And, and many of them won't make it unless we are able to really get the message out. What do we do? Well, you know, Malcolm X said this. He said, if we're not careful, the media will have you hating those who are oppressed and loving the people doing the oppressing. And that's, for me, the challenge with the fact that we are now, I think, bolstering and promoting in the media um, people who have it all uh, and, I think, vilifying people who are fighting for the rights of real people. And so the 20 minutes that I get once a month um, to go on and battle with Chris Christie, Rob Emanuel, whoever, to represent what is what the majority of people uh, believe. And the fact that that doesn't happen on every single network. There are some networks that don't have anybody representing the progressive perspective. I mean, that we start to convince people, if you tell people something over and over and over and over again, that there's something wrong with them that they believe that the government's not supposed to work for them. There's something wrong with them if they believe that our government, which is the most, uh, the richest, most powerful government can't give them universal health care when we've seen our allies who have much less do that. And so there's a propaganda machine that is convincing everyday Americans that what they see isn't true. That while we're watching uh, Jeff Bezos and, 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 the, and the guy from Virgin Atlantic go to the moon, that they're supposed to celebrate that instead of questioning why one government money was used to get that done, but why that guy doesn't pay taxes and you paying yours. And then, and then your government representatives say, well, you're, you're taking welfare. No, it's my money. <laughs> I'm the one that's paying it. The folks who are not paying it are getting the welfare. They're taking my money from me. So I think there's a propaganda machine when we don't have, you know, control over the media, the ability to really get out the word to people. And people are being convinced that to to work against their own interests and what they see is not actually true. I mean, that is is so powerful. It's amazing because yesterday on our program, 
uh, we went through the entire thing about Jeff Bezos that you just mentioned. And I, I laid out the case where all Jeff Bezos's money, that Jeff Bezos didn't earn that, that we oh. earned it for just Jeff Bezos. And I explained how the system is rigged. In fact, I wrote a book called How to Make America Utopia, you know, and, uh, and the idea was that we have a rigged economic system. And it's interesting that how difficult it was to convince this person of that he that he was being screwed and and that is where i say uh and that is because he's heard repetition after repetition the other story that is because you you have 20 minutes every few weeks on one of the major networks that everybody sees uh and and the thing about it is uh, we have to mitigate that so my question to you is how and and actually this is this is something that you talk about all the time Building the progressive movement nationwide. How do we attain that? And how do we get the eyeballs? How do we get all of this done to make sure that everybody knows we are actually working for them? I think it's really important to go back to basics. One of the things that DFA is about is about organizing person to person to person. You know, you're going out and actually talking to people, having a conversation with people. So novel in a world when people spend so much time looking at their devices. But the reality is, is that we can have conversations with people where we talk about what the real is. How is that working for you? Uh, you know, there are people waving Trump flags and they, they're waving them out of double wives. They barely have anything in their life and they're saluting the Trump flag. Well, how did that Trump presidency change your life? It didn't. Um, your life is not better because you followed one of the worst, most narcissistic presidents in the history of the country. So I think we've got to talk to people person to person about what these policies are, um, the fact that we should be doing these things, the fact that we need to have a government by the people and for the people, and that that's possible if we show up. And so I think that organizing work can negate the fact that we don't necessarily have, unfortunately, um, access to the major media. Uh, and I also think shows like yours and uh, the fact that people are consuming messages a little differently gives us the opportunity at every cost, I think, to, to make that message. I also, you know, one of the things they, they often say is all of a sudden when everybody's suffering, when, when you start to see everybody struggling suffer, then all of a sudden people wake up, right? Like it took 50 years for them to finally dispense with the message that trickle-down economics didn't work. We've been talking about the fact that trickle-down economics didn't work for a long time. Finally, 50 years later, economists are writing, well, trickle-down economics doesn't work. And part of that is because people started to realize it, like it started to hit more people. We don't have to wait for that, right? I think one of the biggest mistakes that Republicans made was this abortion ban. I because think so too. Because you got women like, oh, they might've been cool. You know, they might have been all right with, you know, us not having the right to vote. They might have not cool. They might have been, they might have let that slide. They might have done a little march for that. They might have done a little march for a few weeks on George Floyd and Black folks getting murdered. But now you're taking away their right to choose and their right to choose for their children. You don't woke up, you don't reawaken a, a, a bunch of folks who now are going to fight. And so I think that's where, when we get to this place where there is an, a shared suffering, and I think right now we're in a real state of shared suffering. A lot of people are suffering right now in all kinds of ways. Then you start to see the rising up of people and the, the, the joining of forces of movements um, and people start to march and then they demand more. Yvette, that is magic because what you, do, what you just said is magic. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to see themselves in that suffering. Right. And as I explained yesterday on the show, if you can, if you can hide that, 
which is what, you know, um, I made a, 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 a dangerous statement on the show yesterday. And one of the viewers thought I was implying that something like slavery wasn't really a black thing. But what I explained is that we are all now antiseptic slaves. Mm-hmm. And she took it back because now it was like, oh, I can't say the other anymore. But what you're saying is making sense. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the other. But right. we are all, you know, it was important. I always, I always said that for our economic system to work you have to be able to separate people. Mm-hmm. But when people are forced into the same box and see their humanity and see their reality and their equal economics, it suddenly makes a difference. And in effect, that's what you just said. That's so true. I mean, when you think about, you know, when people can, when people can operate in any level of privilege, they will, right? So like, if I can say, well, I don't like that Black people are being murdered, but I'm safe. Right. I don't like that people are struggling, but my bills are paid. As long as they can, my life isn't in jeopardy in any way. Like you can empathize with people all day, but until you actually understand because you are going through it yourself, that shared suffering causes people to act. And I have seen, and I've talked to people about owning and, and acknowledging the fact that most of us have some level of privilege and whether we, whether we admit it or not, when the going gets tough, we will lean into that privilege exactly. and leave the brother behind and don't have none yes. in a minute. And we cannot do that. It's it a is, human thing. It's a human thing. And we've got we've got to work against that. You know, I know that I'm a black woman, so I am not privileged as to race and gender, right? But I am privileged. I'm straight. I'm, I'm privileged as to sexual orientation. I have money in my pocket. I'm privileged as to wealth. You're educationally privileged. Right, that part. I happen to practice the dominant religion in this country, so I am privileged as to religion. And so I was born in this country. I am privileged as to national origin. And so what what I need to remind myself is in those moments when I want to operate in my privilege, I need to use my privilege to help somebody else, right? Right. I need to lean into that. And we see that in the the anti-Muslim movement. We see folks... Like, oh, okay, I can't, I can't work. But I need to lean into my privilege and support my, my Muslim brothers and sisters who deserve the right, right, to, to exercise it, their religion and to be in this country, just like the rest of us. I, I do the same thing with my LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. And so it's when we are, but, but, but the challenge that they didn't see is that when you get enough people who are in, who are suffering together, they don't think about that privilege. Now you've got, folks saying, wait a minute, we all struggling. Now we all struggling. Let's move forward in this movement to make change for all of us. And I think that was, that was the misplay uh, that the Texas Democrats, the Texas Republicans have done. And now they've riled up a whole bunch of folk that now will join the movement with us. And hopefully, hopefully. Let's not say hopefully, we will make it so. We will make it so. I like that. I like that. We will, we will make, make it, it so. so. You know, it's 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 interesting. It's power. It, it, what what you're saying is mm-hmm. powerful. Now, uh, the last two issues here. First of all, to effect a structural change in our democracy requires education. It's sort of like the egg. Which one comes first? Right. We need a structural uh, change in our democracy. But in order to get a structural change in our democracy, people have to be educated enough to understand how it currently works, which means we have to find a way to operate in this domain. And I tie that into the other part that says, so then how do we work 
under the Biden administration, which isn't bought into that this democracy by the minority does not work, meaning filibuster must go. Electoral college must go. Two senators per state must go. The Constitution has some intrinsic flaws that we can't mitigate immediately. We have to work within the system. How do we get structural change in the democracy? And how do we start that under likely the best administration that we're going to be able to do it under? Because I tell you what, um, even that $3.5 trillion under Biden was a surprise to me. It was a blessed surprise to me. Please. You know, I think we start by making it plain. You know, I think we have, uh, you know, civics education in, in schools has not been funded. Um, even some of our senators don't understand what the Constitution says. Uh, I, the way we've been going about it is really tying these things to the things that people care about. You can't get climate change because... We have minority rule in this country, right? That means that uh, the 40% the of, of, of senators get to decide uh, what happens rather than the 60%. And people can do the math. I mean, we really need to just do a, a full out media blitz around what is wrong with this picture. Everybody understands that 40% of the people should not be making the decision for all of us when 60% of us are in control. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it shouldn't be a 60-40, it should be a 50-50. And so we've got 51% of the power, but the 40% gets to decide for the rest of us because we have a filibuster. And then and the fact that you can't get your change, you can't get your change because of this. And that was the big fallacy of the myth that is gonna ultimately, hopefully not, but might do Biden in. Because he said, all we need is for the Democrats to get the Senate and then we can make change. And folks showed up and that happened. And now we're saying, no, no, we actually need 60 Democratic senators to yeah. get something done. People, people don't want to hear that. So we've really got to remind people that all of these different um, inequities in our democracy, all these challenges in the structure of our democracy are keeping us from getting the things that we need to get. And we need to remind people that we have the power, Democrats, we don't need bipartisanship for this. Democrats have the power right now to keep their promise and actually in the filibuster, which is not written into the constitution, it's a freaking Senate rule to end the filibuster and to make change. And we also need to, as we know from what the, the Supreme Court done started acting a plum fool too, which we expected, we need to expand the court. And if that's not a novel idea, the court has been expanded before. And typically the Supreme Court matches the number of districts that exist. And there are 13, judicial districts. So to go from nine to 13 would be normal. We have done this before. It is not a power play. It is not a political trick. So we just got to get in the posture of reminding people that all of these things, one, are keeping you from the thing that you need to do. Two, that they are not equitable. That is not fair. And it is not supposed to be. And the three, frankly, this is the way it's always been. And it's on us to be the generation to change that system for ourselves and for our children, and that we have the power to do that. Yvette, that's powerful. And I, I think uh, that is why we need to get, give the Yvette Simpsons of the world, the DFAs of the world, all the exposure possible, because the change mm -hmm. isn't going to come from them. It's going to come from us. And I want to uh, reiterate something that you said that is very important. The filibuster 
is not constitutional. It's not constitutional, and and increasing the size of the court is not a novel idea, nor is it unconstitutional. Anyway, at at the end of every one of our uh, discussions here, we ask one specific specific question. Please mm -hmm. tell me what you would have wished that I asked you, and in my <laughs> ignorance, I didn't. Well, first of all, you are not ignorant. This has been a great interview, and I just thank you. Uh, for giving me space. Uh, and now, you know, that question is so funny because now you give me a chance to preach. And I think that's very, yes. very dangerous. Yes. <laughs> the dangerous thing. You know, my one wish uh, for us uh, in this time and in this future uh, is that we would just take a beat and really look around uh, and ask, how are we doing? And the answer to that is that we are not well, that there is human suffering that is happening across this country with so many different people. And if we don't see this as an opportunity, a clarion call uh, for us to do everything in our power, remove the distraction and the foolishness and be about the mission of ending human suffering within the, we all have the power to do that. And our government has the power to do that. And that we need to raise our voice and demand that and be relentless you know, in our demand. Angela Davis said, you have to believe that you can transform uh, your world and you have to believe it all the time. And so this work is a relentless, consistent work. And there's no time like right now for all of your listeners to be completely committed to ending human suffering. And we can do that through uh, voting. We can do that through uh, raising our voice, through protesting, through taking this very, very important time. Because if we make the reforms that you and I have been talking about, we can have a government that works for us and that serves us and help to relieve the suffering that people in our country are um, currently facing. Yvette Simpson, Chief Executive Officer of Democracy for America, thank you so kindly for having been thank on you. Politics Done Right. So great. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.